Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another amazing webinar. Uh, today's webinar is a very special one. We're doing a wine tour of Greece. And my two co-hosts, not me for sure, but my two co-hosts, they are the experts on this stuff. They know everything. They are entertaining. They are cool. They are good friends of mine. So please, let me first welcome my co-host, Foti Stamos. Hello, Foti. Welcome. Asurari. And as you said, I'm also super excited about this webinar because there's so many uh, great regions in Greece that uh, needs attention and a great breakdown. And what better or who better to have with us to do that is our colleague, friend, associate, anything you can think of, Johnny Livanos of Diamond Wine Importers. Johnny, thank you so much for doing this with us. We're super excited. Yeah, happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk about Greece, talk about Greek food and wine, especially with you guys. Um, Ari's more about the food part, but... Uh, right. <laughs> True. And I just came back, actually, from a trip to Greece uh, earlier this week, so I have... I have Greek touring mode fresh in the in the in the blood. He said frescos, as they say in Greek. Can you exactly. give us? Uh, can you give us? I know this really doesn't have a lot to do with much, but uh, just a very quick rundown on what the situation is in Greece, how you saw things, how how it was going. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I my trip was nice. I started off in Kriti, in the, in the city of Chania. Oh, beautiful! Did a nice exploration there. Uh, then we went to Mykonos. Uh, my first time to Mykonos, actually. I've always been really? against. Yeah, I've always been like against going. So I'm like, this place is a party tourist place. I should go to the real islands. And then I went there and I had the best time. Ever. <laughs> it's uh, so fun. Yeah, I was really surprised. I, I didn't realize it had. It still has small Greek island charm, which yeah, was yeah. cool. And then uh, we went up to the Saloniki in the northern part of Greece, and that's where we have the distillery for Stray Dog Gin. So we uh, we distilled a batch of gin together, and then I spent some time in Athens. And uh, yeah, towards the, the towards the end of my trip is when the the fires started happening. Oh, that was that was that was definitely challenging. Luckily, it didn't really affect us much, but definitely in Athens, you could you could kind of uh, you know there was a haze, a smoky haze in the city. You could smell the smoke. Um, and so, yeah, things have definitely been tough in the areas of Southern Athens, especially Evia. Evia has been hit the hardest. That's the second biggest island kind of right to the, uh, to the east of Athens. Um, and a lot of people had to evacuate and flee certain villages there, which has been heartbreaking to see. But uh, I heard recently that there's been some rainfall there that has provided a little bit of relief to Evia. Oh, wow. Um, oh, so, yeah, I don't know if it's all done, but I just heard there's, it's, things have gotten a little bit better there. But at the same time, I mean, it's been decimated. So, uh, apparently, the whole northern side of the island lost all its forests. So uh, that was really sad. But, you know, I got a little bit of experience because, you know, with Straight Dog Wild Gin, we're, we're talking about wine today, but we just want to <laughs> sure. mention with the gin is that uh, you know, we work with a, a, a nonprofit called Save a Greek Stray. And uh, so we would give a portion of our sales to a dog shelter in Greece, and they were rescuing abandoned animals or animals that were lost during all the chaos of the evacuation. Uh, so we were able to support them a little bit and help them in their, in their endeavors to just make sure you know, people didn't lose that's really, their, their animals. So yeah, that's uh, really, thank that's God really there, there was really, there, were, there was, yeah. But uh, it was really fun to be there uh, back in Greece. You know, I, I've been traveling been to Greece in a few years, so it was beautiful to be there. Um, being a Greek American with roots there, you know, I like to travel to Greece as often as we can. So that's kind of the goal with this webinar is to take you to Greece. Um, I'm not sure if many of you have been able to travel there or not um, recently or ever. Um, judging by the last names of a lot of people in this chat box, I feel like we have a lot of Greeks here. So. Uh, maybe you've all been there. So hopefully this could be a little tour of Greece to bring you back. Um, so I have a little presentation I'll share in a moment. But basically today we want to give a, like a brief overview of Greek wine, the industry. I want to discuss a little bit of the main varieties. Um, and then we're going to talk about a few regions, uh, Santorini, Crete, um, the Peloponnese, and then Northern Greece. So those are the main regions I want to cover. And if anyone has questions, just type them in the chat box and we can get to them as we as we go. Um, but yeah, a little quick brief overview. And, and uh, Foti, if you have any questions or things, just chime sure, in. Sure, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, you know, for me, I was a, I'm a third generation Greek American restaurant person. Mm-hmm. Um, my my grandfather started in the restaurant business when he came here from the United from Greece, and he. And so when I, I grew up working in restaurants myself, and uh, of course Greek restaurants. So I've been working with Greek wine for a very long time, um, and it's been fun to see my journey in the Greek wine world change as. Uh, as I, I as I learn more about the wines, get get more interested and involved in the industry, but I've been able to see the whole industry completely blossom and grow up a lot, especially just in the last fifteen years. There's been a tremendous increase in quality. You know, in the Greek wine world it's a it's an industry of farmers, and I think it's always important to mention is that the roots of the Greek wine world are are farming, agricultural based. But in the past a couple of decades, you've seen a tremendous increase in the uh, investments in wineries. Um, education and, and quality winemaking. So now you have a, a marriage of old school techniques, indigenous ancient Greek varieties, and modern technology to make what is now, I think, the perfect recipe for unique and delicious wines. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for those of you who are, are just getting into Greek wines, there's over 300 varieties. There's 300 types of grapes grown there, over 300. Wow. So that's a lot. So it could be a little bit uh, intimidating for people, um, but so that's why today we're going to tour you through a few key regions, discuss a few key grapes, all wines that are available on Urban Wine Club as well, um, just so to make sure you can you can kind of navigate the giant world of Greek wine a little bit easier, um, so that when you're trying some that something out, you know, uh, in a store or in a restaurant, you could have a good idea of what to um, what to look out for. So. Um, I always have my email here. Feel free, you know, anyone here can email me if you have any questions about Greek wine, uh, where to find them, uh, johnny at diamondwineimporters.com. Um, and uh, yeah, so we could get started here. Uh, here is our map of Greece. Uh, so, of course, so first of all, one thing you need to know to say in Greek is yamas. Uh, it's yamas. a Greek word for cheese. So, yamas. Uh, cheers, everyone. Cheers, Fotiari. Cheers, Johnny. Yamas. Okay, so. We are going to start our little wine tour um, in the island of Santorini. So Santorini is this little blue dot here in the middle of the southern Aegean Sea. Um, Santorini has been producing wines for uh, thousands of years. It's one of the oldest wine producing regions in the world. And they have records up to 3,500 years ago wow. to, to win, to, of winemaking. So it's a pretty ancient place. And you know, Greece gets a lot of credit for being one of the main birthplaces of wine you know, coming from the Middle East and Levant through Greece. And then from there, it traveled to the rest of the of the Western civilization. But Santorini is definitely one of those birthplace islands where it gets a lot of credit for, for kind of showing modern wine. And especially with the worship of the god Dionysos, you know, a lot of the love for wines has, tri- has trickled down to the rest of Greek civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's a picture of Santorini, just to make you all jealous and you know, <laughs> want to get back there. It's so beautiful. Oh. Not only is it a great place for wines, but it is one of the most beautiful places on earth. You know, you have these very beautiful cliffs, uh, these dramatic cliffs where these they build the hotels, basically, and villas right along. We have amazing views of the sunset and the caldera. The caldera is basically the center of the volcano. So Santorini is a volcanic island, uh, and it actually erupted in 1650 B.C., and when it erupted, it was probably, I think to date, one of the largest volcanic eruptions I ever recorded in human history. It completely decimated uh, the Mediterranean and wiped out, you know, some civilization, um, really changed the whole game. And they, um, But, you know, for now, we, at uh, this point in time, we kind of, um, we get to see, we get to basically drink wine that is grown on that volcanic terroir. So the wines that we have from Santorini are grown on a combination of, um, you know, of lava rock, volcanic ash, pumice, um, and I have some pictures uh, of, of, of the stone. So like this is basically an example of a cutout of what it looks like. This is the soil composition that the, the wines grow on, like white ash like that, black lava. There's nowhere else in the world that grows wines in these types of conditions. Mm. Uh, and that together creates a really unique. Del- unique style of wine so when you're having wines from santorini they're always going to have a really bright acidity um very tart um and also a pronounced minerality and almost even a saltiness to it you know because it's so close to the sea that minerality from the volcanic soil you're going to have this intense 
aroma that is unlike really anywhere else in the world. Um, I also love mentioning, this is how they grow their vines on Santorini. They grow them in this basket method. So, uh, and it tra- they, train, yeah, they train the vines to grow this way to protect the grapes. So for those of you who have never been to Santorini, it is so windy there. It is like violently windy. You know, you're, you, can't, you cannot wear a hat on Santorini um, or else it'll just blow into the ocean. Um, but they train the vines this way. And they've been doing it like this for thousands of years to protect the actual grapes from the wind. So the, the grapes will, will be trained to grow inside the vines, kind of like a little, uh, little barrier, a little shield to protect the wind, protect the grapes from the wind, uh, which blows sand and rocks and things like that. So the grapes don't get damaged. Um, it also doesn't rain on Santorini at all. So by training the vines low to the ground like this, it allows the wines to the vines to kind of absorb that morning moisture, that morning dew, which is just such a recipe for really unique wines. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've heard about this, but you know, with wines that struggle more, like when the vines are under more stress, they end up producing a more flavorful product. Um, so like the, the roots like here have to really dig. It's like they're working out, right, Johnny? <laughs> so if, the, if the wines are under extreme stress and they're, they're searching for their nutrients. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like they're training their muscles. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And that means bigger muscles, bigger food. Exactly. And, and, and Santorini would, exactly. And that gives them more characteristics. And especially the vines, as they're struggling to get water, the vines dig deep, deep down to the ground. It's not uncommon for them to go up to like 60 feet deep. Uh, and at that at that level, they're just pulling in very concentrated water that's full of minerals, uh, which again makes it. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Do you know any other volcanic areas that have produced wines just like this? Have you had much experience I mean, with that? There's the only the only other location that I can think of, but it's not at not nowhere near the same uh, dynamic of Santorini would be Sicily. I mean, Sicily yeah. also, but. There's, I think, a different element in Sicily than there is in Santorini. Yeah, they're definitely very different. But again, having that volcanic terroir adds a lot of flavor to the wine. So, yeah, I would compare them to wines from Sicily, um, the Canary Islands as well, and off the coast of Spain. Yep. And then um, a lot of people compare these wines actually to like white Burgundy or to Chablis in terms of their flavor profile, because they have that bright minerality and that acidity, which is not, which is pretty common in that part of the and still, I, I think, and I still think, Johnny, it doesn't do justice of how great these wines are. But it's a great starting point to give people an idea. Yeah, exactly. I just love showing this picture because while it looks like it's a pile of rocks, <laughs> imagine a vine having to dig down through this kind of soil. That's what these vines do. It's like Santorini is really a miraculous place because nothing really should grow on this kind of soil, this kind of substrate. It looks like concrete. And yet these vines can dig 60 feet deep, deep down to the soil. Um, and as they're doing so, they're pulling up this fantastic minerality and all these amazing characteristics that make the wine. Uh, here's another picture. This is actually from uh, Domaine Sagalas. This picture is taken. This is an, a traditional vineyard on Santorini. So more traditional vineyards that you're probably used to seeing are you know, standing up in a trellis system and the vines go out. Uh-huh. But on Santorini, everything's grown in this, in this on the ground, hand-picked, harvested, everything done by hand. Uh, so it's a labor-intensive job. Um, but the final result is something that you can't really compare to really anything else in the world. So it's something that I'm very proud of. Uh, and these Greeks were very proud of the wines of Santorini because they are world-class and they're unlike anything else out there. So cool. Yeah. And we could also give some credit to Greek ingenuity for for taking this kind of terroir and like learning how to grow and grow well. Exactly. That's like engineering. Brilliant. Yeah. And they've been doing it for thousands of years. And what I love that is like, even the way they grow the vines, it's a, it's a tradition that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So while they could grow them different ways, right. They could incorporate modern techniques. The fact is this way is perfect. The way they did it thousands of years ago is to this day, the perfect way to grow them on Sandrine. Uh, that's what I love about it. It's like they could grow them traditionally, but you know what? They won't taste the same. They won't survive the same way. They won't produce the same characteristics. So, you know, I love that, that, that uh, paying tribute to the traditional techniques. It goes a really long way. Uh, and in Greece, you know, we're very proud people we always love our tradition our heritage but in a place like santorini you could see it really stay alive and stay, people stay true to those traditions whether it's with know, farming I, or with with uh, with drinking 
Out of curiosity, Johnny, is there anybody on the island that doesn't do the traditional way? Is there anybody that tried something more modern? Yeah, I mean, you failed. I'd say the majority of them are grown this traditional way, probably at least 90%. But yeah, some wineries do do a more traditional uh, technique. Maybe there's sides of the island that are less windy and they could stand up straight. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, if they're growing other wines, like if they're growing some of the red wines, they they maybe do those and they stand them up. This is really a traditional way of growing a seer to go in the white variety. Um, but certain sides of the island are less windy. When you're on the top of these cliffs and these higher altitude areas, that wind is going to blow everything away. So you have, have to, you almost need to grow at this. Um, yeah. And to finish our talk about Santorini, I wanted to quickly mention Domin Sagalis. Um, this is one of the premier producers on the island. They like to consider him the godfather of Santorini winemaking. Uh, he brought modern winemaking to the island um, after doing it basically as a hobby. You know, he was a math teacher making wine on the side in his in his, in his family vineyards. Um, and he's and his, it took off. People realized and ha- people told him how good of a wine he was making. Uh, and then they convinced him to basically build his own winery. So uh, in the early 90s, he started his own winery and he's been growing wine in a natural way with organic farming since 1994. Um, and he's one of the first people to do organic farming in, in, the, in the wine world there in Greece um, and using better technology to make great wine so his is a is like a is a relationship between um great technology in the in the winery but then in the vineyards using the ancient techniques here's just a picture of doing the harvest uh, so again everything done by hand all organically these are two wines i highly recommend you all to look out for the uh, theory blend the am and then the uh santorini and no no greek wine no sirtigo from Santorini is complete without a nice plate of food. Uh, with, in Greece, wine is food. You always want to have it with uh, with your meal to accompany your dishes. So something like this, a whole calamari or octopus, is a great pairing with a Santorini Assertico for sure. Yeah. Any questions here? Or what do you think? Should we move on to go to Crete? Oh, the other thing I, we can uh, quickly mention too, Johnny, is that isn't Santorini one of the few places or limited places around the world that has never been affected by phylloxera yeah yeah that's definitely a good thing to mention so phylloxera for those of you who aren't familiar is a parasite that attacks the roots of the, of the vines and uh, partially because of, uh, of us americans we brought these parasites to europe and it decimated all of the european um vineyards oh, wow. it, was, it did a lot of damage so like wiped out vineyards from spain to france to italy um and in America, we never had that problem because the, the vines in, in, the, in North America, for some reason, were immune to this parasite. So all throughout Europe to, to combat this parasite, they actually graft, uh, they graft American roots on the bottom with European tops. So like they'll take the Chardonnay, but it graft it on American roots, which is immune to the parasite as a way to combat phylloxera. But because Santorini has these tremendous winds in the sandy soil, phylloxera can't survive there. So luckily for them, they've had wines that are ungrafted on the original rootstock, which allows them to have some of the oldest vines on, on earth. Um, so the average age for a lot of vines, especially like with St. Sagalis or other wineries you work with, they can be up to 60, 70 years old, and even some up to 100 years old. Um, that's just the size and the age of the vine. And as the wines get older, uh, they, they produce more concentrated flavor. They'll, be, they'll make less fruit, less actual berries of grapes, but uh, the grapes that they do make will have more in-depth flavor, more concentration. Nice. So that's another reason why the wines from Santorini are just so unique. And so cool. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so uh, let's head to Crete. Crete's going to be the next place we talk about. Uh, Crete is, uh, I was just there. It is so beautiful. I think Crete's one of my favorite islands in Greece. Have you guys ever been? Never, but um, I have. Yeah. Was it your first time in Crete? Actually, my second. Second, time. okay. Yeah, the first time I went, I was in the Heraklion area, which is in the center. Um, this time I was here in Hanya on the west side of the island, which is gorgeous. But Heraklion is important, and the center of Greece is important for us for this conversation because that's where a lot of the best wineries come from. So this area has a beautiful mountain range, so high elevation vineyards. Uh, and we work with a bunch of producers there, but na- namely um, the one we talk about today will be Nikos Dulufakis, Dulufakis, because they focus on a lot of these indigenous varieties from Santorini, like uh, uh, Lydia Vidiano and Lydia. Which are both red and white wine. The Crete is gorgeous. I mean, it's a rugged terrain. You have such a unique landscape. 
I love that it's like a big island. It's the biggest island in Greece and the southernmost island where it's very, very warm. So you have this environment that's very unique to producing great agriculture, great wines, food. Um, but by being on this mount, high elevation in these mountains, you also have um, the wind flow, not as violent as Santorini and strong, but still a strong wind flow that helps keep the, the vines growing safely from pests. Um, it helps keep them, helps them mature and ripen well. Uh, it's a great, a great recipe for producing high quality wine. That's me and Crete. That's me and Crete enjoying myself. This is why I love Crete so much. It's just such a, there's always good food everywhere you go. And that's me drinking uh, raki, which is basically tsipura or uh, pumice brandy. Uh, made from the local Cretan varieties with a nice little lamb feast over here. Yeah, I just love showing what, that because that's, that's why. I have to. What time is it there that you're having that raki? It looks pretty early in the day. <laughs> There's no <laughs> wrong time to have raki. You can't, well, you, you you can't can help tell, it. No matter you where you go, they just give it to you. You can tell by the Every meal I had there. He can't. He can't, <laughs> He doesn't look like he's standing up straight in this picture. He's <laughs> not. <laughs> Well, my, it was because I was ate too much for lamb. I couldn't hold my belly. It was like <laughs> my balance was going forward. And yeah. not 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 uh, only that, but I gotta say that haircut, John. You can set your watch to that haircut right there. That is nice and trim and neat. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 pro. I'm, my, my long hair, my flow is is getting getting tired. Of it. I might go back. I might I might want to bring that my buzz cut back. That was those are good. Those are real days. Less maintenance, like less funny. conditioner. Potty's had the same haircut for 20 years. It's, uh, 2020, the pandemic made me grow it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like COVID hair. Um, so just a little bit about Crete. So Crete is home to a variety of indigenous varieties that only are found in Crete. That's, what, that's one thing I love about it. You know, we go to Greece, there's hundreds of varieties there. Um, but in Crete, you know, you, you mean, the mean, there's, there's a lot of varieties that are unique to this island. For whites, Vidiano, Malvasia, Muscata Spina, Vilana, those are some of the main varieties to keep an eye out for. And on Santorini, the main one is a Sirtico. Um, and then here for Reds and Crete, Liatico, Cozzifali, and Mandelari are the main varieties to keep an eye out for. But two specifically, I like to mention, are Liatico for Red. And here's a picture of the Liatico. And then Vidiano for White. And that's actually what I'm drinking in my glass right now is a Vidiano uh, from Dulufaki's Winery. Uh, this is the Aspros Lagos, which is a, a barrel aged. Uh, version of this wine, which is delicious. Delicious. Uh, so, you know, if you're traveling through Crete, it's, um, a, it's an island that's been producing wines for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Uh, in like the early 1900s and throughout the 50s and 60s, they really were focused on producing, you know, uh, high volume wines, bulk wines, um, and they worked with a lot of international varieties. But in the past 30, 40 years, a lot has changed. Where now the, the, the main focus is on the indigenous grapes of the island, the winemakers really want to tell that story, especially people like Nikos Dulufakis, we work with, as being a pioneer in showcasing the indigenous grapes that make the island so special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love showing this picture. You, it's, when you go to Crete, it's a patchwork of farms, olive groves, fig trees, and then a vineyard. So you have so many things growing harmoniously together. Um, and here's another picture. So it's a more traditional vineyard here. So unlike Santorini, where they grow them on the ground, here they normal they use a more traditional trellis system. Uh, but again, everything is still done by hand here. Uh, it's very common to it's it's very important for our winemakers and Crete to do things by hand because you have a lot more control over the final product. You know, you you're if you have it do it by hand, you get to see every single cluster of grapes before they go into a basket. And you're able to make sure that you're only picking grapes when they're ripe and they're and they're of the best quality. And uh, Dulufakis Winery, they also do everything organically. And I love talking about that because in Greece, it's pretty normal. You know, doing things organically is the right way to do it. And that's the way they've been doing it for hundreds of years. It's not they're not doing it because it's trendy and cool. They're doing it because they respect the land. And that's the way they've been trained from generation to generation is to respect the land um, to treat the soil well and to do things in an organic way to create a natural, beautiful product without the use of chemicals. They don't use fertilizers. This is an example of cover cropping, where instead of using fertilizers and chemical fertilizers to, to treat the soil, they'll, do, they'll grow cover crops in the off season so that when their grapes are, you know, as they're approaching spring, they'll till the cover crop back into the soil to reintroduce uh, nitrogen and those nutrients back under the gr- underground. Uh, so this is, this is basically a picture of what the vineyards look like before uh, springtime um, as the cover crops have grown. So- well, Johnny, uh, 
So do they ever practice biodynamic? Yeah, I mean, biodynamic is a whole other element. But yeah, they do incorporate some of that into into their winemaking on the island. Uh, Biodynamic wines is a way, it's kind of like the holistic approach towards agriculture, where a lot of it involves, you know, the the astrophysics of where the moon is, you know, where the The optimal, where the sky, yeah, exactly. Looking at everything, taking everything into consideration um, and, you know, if there's an issue or if there's like a pest or if there's, you know, a problem with the plants, they try to heal it holistically rather than using chemicals, uh, which is the easy way to do it. It's kind of like the Eastern medicine of, of agriculture. Mm. You know, that's how I like to look at it. It's like looking at one, looking at mother nature as a one whole cohesive unit and trying to figure out naturally how to fix things. So yeah, that's something they do here uh, for sure. And that's something I love. It's, a, it's just a fun way to like look and approach approach agriculture mm. that's how it should be it's how it should be everywhere yeah i mean it's not easy it's not easy you have, you have to the really, patience but that, that's the, you have to spend the time in the but that's that's, that's the point right that's the yeah. point it's it's more difficult but it's better it's better yeah. all around so uh, i wish more people would abide by that and it, it not only is it better for the wines but it's better for the environment and it's better for yeah. the land yeah. like you know if you just put chemicals into the ground you're not you're you're not going to get it's, the, the ground can't take that for so long and eventually you know it, it will burn itself out but nature has been go grow naturally on its own and if you find if you just do what it's meant and, to be and to Johnny do, to your point if you burn that soil or land out it takes years for it to recover maybe a decade exactly you've seen some farms in like other parts of the world I've seen this where like they abandoned farms because like nothing can grow there anymore. yeah awful but cool. I mean, uh, I just I don't happen to, here though. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I want to just include that because biodynamic is a hot topic in the wine industry, and it's great to highlight the fact that in Greece, um, as you mentioned, that it's a natural approach of of farming is or you know is organically by by default, and also the biodynamic approach because it's you know it's a cultural thing as well. Yeah, one thing to know is with, with wine, um, you're not always going to see the organic sticker on the labels. It's important to know what your who your producers are, you know, because yeah. think about this. This is a small family-owned winery, and to get an organic certification, it could cost thousands and thousands of dollars per label, per wine. You know, a, a small family-owned business, they can't afford something like that, so they just don't put that certification on there. But it doesn't change the fact that that's how they're growing it and that's how they've been doing. It. So that's one thing to keep in mind as you're as you're looking and, and buying wines. Get like do some research on where you're buying them from and um, and talk to the shop owners or the sommeliers and people helping you because they can help you put you in the right direction. And that's so important to know, right? I was going to say, uh, say that we need to create a movement, Johnny, that actually makes the certifications free for wineries. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know who's even going there and doing it. It's just. It's someone flying all across the world and just going and check on it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the organic certification people are, um, but maybe, definitely. Maybe yeah. it's the wine mafia. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, the we'll, main set, we'll, set, we'll set the green mafia on them and uh, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> so, because um, that's important. You know, it's like, it's like they, they do the difficulty of growing organic, but because of, you know, all the business involved, it's like they can't afford to actually be certified. And, you know, that's, that's, that's unfair. If, you, if you're doing organic, then you should be certified organic. Well, you know, you know who's the biggest set, like, um, seller of organic products is Walmart, you know? So, like, you think about organic is a big business and all big businesses thrive in it. But it sometimes it leaves the little guys out that are doing it, but, you know, yeah. they're not going to send the whole, they're not going to do the whole certification process. It's just not what they do. It's not important to them because what what's important to them is producing good wines good food, good products the right way. And, and they have integrity with what they're doing. And that's what's important to them. Yeah. And getting, so, getting so, the, stamp, the stamp, it doesn't mean anything, you know? So with that, with that said, um, then, you know, uh, people should be knowledgeable about who is growing this stuff the right way, even if they're not certified. Knowledge will take care of the problem. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. Um, and these are just a couple of wines that we import from Dudufakis worth mentioning. Uh, so again, he mainly, one of his, one of our big, focuses is on the white variety Vidiano. We truly love this wine. I mean, it produces these wonderful full body textured whites uh, with these aromatics of like tropical and stone fruits. 
Um, I'm drinking this right now. I mean, it tastes like apricots in a glass with a little bit of that oak, but also there's some, there's some savoriness to it. But Vidiano is always a fun wine. Uh, and then we also make a bar, uh, amphora aged one at Dulafakis, which is um, aged in clay amphoras, which are tr- traditional clay pots that they use in Greece for centuries. Uh, he actually digs the clay from his own vineyards to make the clay pot. So talk about wow. going for a circle. And then for reds, we focus on Liatico. Liatico is a red variety, uh, a little bit on the earthier side, tannic, but light at the same time. Even sometimes with a little bit of chill, that wine is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, two wines I love, great price point. Uh, and I think you guys had them in your store, right? We, we have both. Yeah, yeah, you have both of them. So yeah. definitely, if you're interested, go check out um, Greek Wine Club or Urban Wine Club to go to order some, because th- those are fun wines. And they're also at a great price point. I think these are some of the best priced wines on the store. For the price you're paying, they're, they're tremendous value. So something just to consider um, for your next gathering this summer. And again, no uh, Cretan wine experience is complete without a selection of delicious foods. Again, I just took these I just took these pictures. I think they, they show that John, Mediterranean landscape really well. Yeah. That's a quick question. Uh-huh. Uh, the previous slide with the lineup of the wines, what was the middle wine? These two are the Amphora aged wines. So we have the, no, the Amph- orange wine. Yeah. 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 So that's an orange skin contact Vidiano. And that's available in the market. Uh, I believe you have it available in Massachusetts. Yes. Whoopi, what's yeah. going on? Why is this not <laughs> on the cart? Ah, we're getting it on the card. That looks it's a very, it's a very limited one. I gotta, I'll, yeah, I'll that's fine. I'm gonna let you know. Yeah. Uh, we have, we, I know they brought in a couple cases, and if you can get some, I'd recommend just snagging it all because that's all they would have. Um, they, they only that wine we only they only make about less than a hundred cases a year. So oh, it's, wow. a, it's a super limited wine. But if you like orange wines of skin contact, that's probably the best one to go for because it's not it's it's funky. It's definitely unique, but it's well made. It's a clean wine, no sulfites added. Uh, oh. Asian clay amphora. It has this beautiful orange color because they age it on the skins for two weeks. It is so delicious. Um, and to me, it's one of the few orange wines that I really like because uh, it has body, it has character, but it's it's also well made. It's not like doesn't taste like skunky and, and weird. You know, it's it's a clean, well-made wine. It's, it's a is it an approachable orange wine? Because I would say it's an approachable can't... orange wine for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Awesome. But, you know, it is unfiltered, so there might be some sediment in there. Um, so it is, you know, you have to kind of just know know what you're getting yourself into. But it is delicious. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll find some. This for is you. this is all fascinating stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I love it. it. I love it. And then they also make an amphora aged red wine as well, which. Um, um, so the next region I want to run to is going to be the Peloponnese, the Peloponnesos. So Peloponnesos. the Peloponnese is home to a lot of famous Greek things. You have, uh, this is where Leonidas uh, in Sparta is from. This is where the original Olympics first took place. And this is where the Kalamata olive reigns supreme. Um, so a lot of my favorite Greek things come from the Peloponnesos. Um, this is the Southern Peninsula right next to Athens, uh, but it's also famous for their wines. This is actually the largest wine region in Greece. Um, Very mountainous area with a rugged terrain. And it's dedicated mainly to indigenous varieties such as Moscofilero and Ayoritico. Uh, So on the eastern side of the Peloponnese, you have some of the best wine regions because basically you have these these valleys and mountain ranges that, that dot this whole area. And a lot of the best wines in this area are grown on these high elevation vineyards. So Moscofilero is actually a pink skinned grape that produces white wines. And Ayoritigo is the red wine of the area. Um, and um, and uh, both are grown in high elevation vineyards in a mountainous terrain. Um, Nemea is only for red wines and, and for Ayoritigo. And, and Mantenia is the appellation for Moscofilero. Uh, this is actually, it's one of the largest wine producing regions. So about 20,000 hectares of wine. Uh, we'll talk about Mantenia. And this is what uh, Fotis has in his glass, I think. Um, so yeah. Mantenia is the region here uh, where it's a high elevation mountainous area. So this is a picture taken from the vineyard. So you can see how you're really up in the mountain. In the south, southern part of Greece, the Peloponnese is very hot. When you're up in the mountains, it actually stays fairly cool. Um, and again, this is a white grape with a pink skin, uh, the Moscofilero variety. And I just love to mention that, like that, that being up in the mountains, um, having that cool climate produces a very unique wine. Um, and these wines are produced by George Scudas, the ones we're going to talk about today from Domaine Scudas. And I just have a quick video to play of him describing Moscofilero. And uh, I was going to take a couple of minutes, let him do the talking, and then I'll 
if you had any trouble understanding his his awesome accent, I'll I'll help I'll come in and and I'll just gonna I'll also talk about some of the main points. But let me know if you, you can hear this. Yeah. It is my grape. I love that. Nero, uh, uh, where I can find it up, and there is for that because of that it's typical. Uh, at uh, about uh, 2000, and imagine the harvest come. And- so real quick, I want to mention harvesting in October in Greece is pretty uncommon. Like in Santorini, they're picking their grapes now. Uh, this is in 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 mid August. So going to October is because it's it stays so cold there in the mountains that the grapes take some time to mature. Um, it's just important to note because as if they ripen slowly, it allows them to maintain their aromatics and they're so unique. Yeah, well, I, I, John, is, is there any other place in in the world that harvests so late without being a quote unquote late harvest production that's sweet? Um, I mean, I know in uh, like in Germany they do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like rieslings are oftentimes harvested later because uh, again it's colder there so they don't have as much and they don't have as much sunlight so it does take a little bit longer to mature probably in, in new york again just really in the colder areas okay you probably in northern italy as well uh in parts of france i'd imagine too but um but definitely in the warmer countries like in italy and spain and greece you're normally doing it august september in mm-hmm. california as well it's usually august september september is usually when they're harvesting grapes for most regions but you know, it could range a month or two, depending on where it is and depending on the year as well, vintage to vintage. I just think it's 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 interesting to to um, put that information out there of like the reasons why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we could, we don't have to continue the rest of the video. Uh, we kind of talked a lot about those things, but definitely Mosco Filero is a fun variety. It's one of my favorite white varieties because it's so expressive. It's so aromatic. I mean, Foti, how is yours tasting right now? You just- uh, like the words you were describing before, like, you know, fresh. I can smell like just uh, fresh cut bouquets come to the aromas, very citrusy, uh, slightly tart, but very clean. Mm-hmm. Um, the balance in this is phenomenal because it combines everything in such a harmonious uh, uh, combination that I can't keep the glass last down yeah it's a great point you mentioned because like not only you know let me also let me also mention that let me also mention that you know it does help help i don't know if the word help is correct but it's like 100 degrees here in boston yeah it's super humid it's uh it's atrocious but this you know this wine really you know does justice to feel better on a day like this and also the salt of mosco filero you're drinking is a lower alcohol percentage so it's like a, a under 12 percent alcohol so it's light refreshing fragrant aromatic and what i love about it is that a lot of times aromatic wines that you'd ex- you drink you'd almost expect it to be sweeter but these wines are very crisp and dry so it's refreshing while being aromatic so it's, it's a beautiful perfume to it like i i i love them they're, they're so unique there's really nothing quite like it and i and i don't want to i i want to mention one thing about this production from scuras this mosco Fidero, which is labeled as salto, which has nothing to do with salt, right? Right. Salto is the um, the specific wine that 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 indicates that it's from you know fermented with wild yeast. But yes. even yeah. though even though there's no salt in here, even though it has nothing to do with salt, the 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 uh, the taste profile of it being so you know slightly tart, that lemon lime for some reason as the finishing the finish comes around, there's this sense of when you keep looking at the label, it says salto. There's a little bit of saltiness mm-hmm. psychologically. I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense. No, but it has like this minerality to it. Like it's that's it's not because it's not just aromatic. It's a complex. It's not just floral and fragrant and citrus. You have so much going on. That's what's so fun yeah. about. But the, but the cool thing is that one is not more intrusive of the other. They're just so like they're there but not overpowering. Exactly. So that's Moscow Filero in a nutshell. I mean, I think. Everyone should definitely try them, especially in the summertime. Those, to me, are the perfect summer wines. They drink really well with when pairing with spicier food. Um, like I love having this with um, with actually with Southeast Asian foods, like Thai food and, and Moscow Fulero, I think is the best pairing ever. Um, or with like ceviche with a little bit of uh, jalapeno or habanero chilies in there. To me, those are fantastic. Uh, yeah. And then um, the region of Nemea, this is the red wine region that's directly next to Mantinia. So Domain Scuras has vineyards in both air, both regions, Mantinia and in Nemea. Nemea is dedicated only to the red wine uh, called Ayoritico. 
Uh, so Ayuritico in Greek means St. George. So it's the St. George variety. Um, these produce really beautiful red wines. Um, they could be so diverse. So in this region, you could produce um, light, fruity style reds. You can produce more full-bodied tannic style reds. You can produce rosés. And they even make dessert wines here, all from the same grape. So one grape has a tremendous amount of uh, range and and diversity. And it's basically up to the winemaker to decide how they want to make it and what they think will do best. And also, it's again, a mountainous region. This area has actually some of the highest red wine vineyards in Europe. So they have vineyards that go over 3,000 feet of elevation. And normally, they're ranging around 2,500 feet. So again, it's another cool uh, climate area. And um, this is, I already took a picture of the grapes in a a bottle. The St. George is a great entry point into this variety. It is so delicious, an easy drinking red, uh, medium tannins, medium body, kind of like a Pinot Noir. Um, and can I play this for a few minutes? Would you mind uh, having uh, George talk about Ayuritico? Sure. Do it, yeah. Ayuritico is a variety of my region. You know, it is a variety, it's a red, uh, it's a red grape from the antique long but still there. And Ayurvedico, it is uh, it's a variety. Uh, it's very normal, very uh, raw, tan uh, of the style it describes the wine. Uh, strawberries. So, one and another thing. Oh, sorry. Raw the twine. So, yeah. I love I love those wines again. They're they're so versatile. Uh, and the Saint George, I think, is a it's a fun wine to try because it's a great entry to it. Then you have the Grand Cuvée, which is a little bit more body. It spends a couple more two years in oak, uh, and then he even makes the Mega Sinos, which is a blend of Ayuritico and Cabernet, which is a more full, the fullest style of wine. So again, a great producer, a great region, and as you're touring through the wines of Greece, I would say definitely you want to try um, the wines of Nemea for sure. And uh, Johnny, yeah. isn't it- and therefore, our, our our fans who like Greek mythology is where Hercules slayed the lion. Yes, I, I need to add that into I there. Don't know, my, my Greek um, uh, history, um, mythology. Yes, are you, are you you know all that stuff? Are you good? Well, at I don't that? I don't know much, but uh, I, every time it's been brought to me that um, uh, that's been made made reference that that's where Hercules slayed the lion in. Uh, and that's where I, the, that's where the beautiful red color of the wine. Right. From. I a quick. Uh, comment uh johnny uh, about the characteristics of ayurvedic what's interesting is that listening to george kudas explain uh the expression of the grape variety is that 20 years ago when we when ayurvedic was being planted and and it was evolving and developed uh into wine it's interesting to see that 20 years ago as ayurvedic was being produced it was more compared to grapes like gamay mm-hmm and possibly French Merlot. And then as it developed and it, and it evolved um, and individuals like George Scudos who actually um, enhanced the production of, of Ayurvedico, it's interesting to see that it now has comparisons to like a wine made from the great Pinot Noir. Yeah, exactly. And I think it just has to do with people knowing how to grow it, knowing what they're doing and, and allowing the grape to really shine and mature yeah, I just wanted to make that point. It was interesting to hear him say that. Yeah. Since you brought that up, I just want to throw in real quick that our next webinar um, on August 26th features, it's called the Greek Wine Renaissance, but it features the pioneer Greek winemakers. So stay tuned for that because uh, it's real interesting how these guys um, really like brought Greek wine to the to world. Exactly. Yeah, so Sorry, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about in depth about each of the individual people behind. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly, so and it's real interesting. I because you showed me the the picture uh, of a Paris, and then uh, we just saw Scudas, and it's real interesting to to hear these guys and where they came from and how they they kind of brought this to 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 like the forefront for Greek wine. Exactly, I love that. I love the story. Uh, so stay tuned for that. August twenty sixth. All right, so we're going to now move to uh, northern Greece. Um, so, you know, we talk about the islands, we talk about the Peloponnese. And now northern Greece, to me, is a very special place. Um, so up in the northern part of Greece, it's a little bit cooler climate and also mountainous region. So, uh, you know, we, the mountainous regions is definitely a theme amongst these producers we're talking about. Um, and why is that? It's just when you have high elevation vineyards, you have, again, a more 
uh, it's a difficult, more difficult way to grow, right? The wines are under a little more stress. They have higher elevation, which has them good, gives them good sun exposure and also a good temperature shift. So the temperatures are changing dramatically from that night to day. And all those things are factors that help create flavorful wine. Uh, but there's two main regions we're going to discuss in the northern parts of Greece. Um, Nausa and Emidion. Uh, this is a picture here of northern Greece. I mean, I love it over here. You know, where other parts of Greece are so dry uh, and, and almost like a dark brownish color. Northern Greece is like a rolling hills of green, lush landscape. So it's definitely a very vibrant region. Um, and the main, th- main grape that we talk about and that is grown in this area is called Xenomavro or Xenomavro uh, with the proper Greek pronunciation. Uh, so Xenomavro is grown in the northern part of Greece. They grow it everywhere all over the country, but it's native to northern Greece. Um, it's We call it the noble red variety of the north. And it means acid black. So Xeno means acid. Mavro is the Greek word for the color black. So acid black. So that's kind of a way to describe what the grape tastes like. It's acidic, high acidic, and it has these dark kind of components to it where you have, might have uh, black fruit qualities like plums, blackberries, uh, dark cherries. Also notes of like tobacco and tomato. So it's a grape that has a lot of tannic structure. They're always going to be pretty tannic and pronounced acidity. Um, so these are these are big, bold wines. And they often are compared to the wines of northern Italy. It's like Barolo and Barbaresca. But similar to Ayuritico, it's a wine that you can produce lots of different styles from. Like Kiriani, one of our producers, makes a fantastic sparkling rosé from this. Alpha Estate makes one of the best rosés um, uh, uh, still rosés from, from Xenomavro. And then they make lighter reds to full-bodied, very deep tannic reds. So it's a wine that, depending on what you're in the mood for, you could have this grape can produce a variety of different styles. So I'll talk a little bit about Nausa first. So this is where Kiriani is located. These are pictures from their vineyard. Um, and it was one of the oldest appellations in Greece, established in 1972. Um, what's cool about this area is there's no dominant soil type. Uh, it's a patchwork of different types of soil compositions like limestone, loam, sand, and clay. And it's also grown at a very high altitude. So between 1,500 uh, and two, 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 about around 2,000 feet of elevation. Um, you still have a Mediterranean climate because you are close to the sea. Uh, but again, a little bit cooler. So it's a more cooler style, a cooler climate in Mediterranean. Um, it's about 300 growers in this area. Um, about 500 hectares are grown, uh, mostly planted with Xenomavro. So it's still a pretty small area, especially when you compare it to the Peloponnese, which had 20,000 hectares. Um, so they, again, mainly, mainly they're growing Xenomavro, but they do grow a lot of Merlot and Syrah as well. Um, but yeah, mainly a red, it's a red wine region. These are some beautiful pictures. These are all taken from Kiriani's. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, they're great. They're a great family-owned winery. They've been doing this for generations, literally one of the oldest winemaking families in Greece. They've been making wine since the 1800s. And then the name comes from Yanis Butari, Kiriani, which means Sir John. Uh, he left. He started his winery with his sons um, in 1997 to really kind of showcase the beautiful varieties of the region and of Xenomata. It does get kind of cold. I love showing this picture because, you know, it does get fairly cool in this in this region. Uh, and again, the temperature shit changes do cre- produce very beautiful style of wine. And then the neighboring region in the north is called Emidion. This is about, it's only about, you know, an hour drive from Nausa. Uh, and it's, again, a little bit more cooler climate. Uh, it's the coldest gro- winemaking region in Greece. Uh, so you have snow-capped mountains. And this is right on the border of the Republic of North Macedonia, Bulgaria, Albania, right up there. So that cooler climate helps produce wines with elegance, beautiful aromas, freshness, and finesse. Um, so I like showing this map. Nausa is below, and then you have Mount Vermion in the middle, and then Amidion is right above it. It's this like very unique area. It has this like sandy soil composition. It's like a prehistoric lake bed used to be there. So you actually have a lot of fossils and minerals in this. Wow. Um, there's about 500 grape growers in the area, um, a more continental climate, High elevation again, and the ins- it's influenced by four lakes in the area. Um, very, very sandy soils. So some areas are just like Santorini, where they never were affected by phylloxera because they have that sandy soil. And this is actually a picture of one of those old vineyards. Alpha State makes a Zeno Mavro from a, 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 from a vineyard that's over 100 years old, um, which is, again, one of those cool, one, another cool characteristic that makes them such a unique place for making wine. Uh, and Robert Parker always calls them one of those hot estates that everyone must know of. Um, definitely keep an eye out for Alpha State. 
Uh, it's founded by uh, Angelo Sartridis, who's their head winemaker. Um, and he's really spends a lot of dedication towards Zeno Mavro. Uh, he also works with Sauvignon Blanc, Assyrtico, Chardonnay, and Malagusia, another indigenous white variety. So there's just so much to, to look out for in this area. Um, such a unique terroir, unique ecosystem, but they're one of the most world-class winemakers in Greece. They do a lot to help the, improve the whole industry as a whole, uh, and they incorporate a lot of amazing technology in their vineyards and in their winery to produce just delicious, balanced wines with finesse. And I like to compare these two. You know, they're both in the north, so they're similar, but Amidion has that more continental climate, so you have a little more elegance and finesse. And then Ramnista, the, the, the Nausa, is going to give you this more power uh, to the wine. So the little more tannic and bolder, here more lighter and elegant, but, uh, the, the two differences between the two regions. Some more pictures of Alpha State, very well organized, meticulously curated. I love looking at that snow like on the ground. I love, you know, people always think of Greece as just summers and beaches. Yeah, have, exactly. It's, it's so cool to see that people. like contrast. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is that old vine vineyard I was mentioning, 100-year-old ungrafted Xenomavro. Wow. So you can see, look at that, the sandy soil. I mean, it's, it's amazing that these wines are, are still growing. I love it. There's a lot of French American oak here. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's my presentation. Um, my final thoughts. Greece is a small country, but rich in history and culture. And our wines are extremely versatile, unique, approachable, and affordable. Well said. I mean, what's better than that? That's- yeah. Um, no, I mean, this is great, Johnny. I mean, you broke it down uh, in four major regions, but four regions that actually um, have a lot to offer to any type of wine consumer, because you just mentioned that through this course that these wines are so versatile, so they can actually appease or appeal to any type of wine drinker on their preferences. Um, and obviously, you know, it, there is hesitation with, with wine drinkers, but Today, we find that most wine drinkers are have a level of being, uh, you know, adventurous. They're willing to learn. They're willing to explore. And I think that Greece is that category where someone would like to kind of jump outside of their comfort zone. Exactly. Because they're, wine, they're, they're, they're wines with history. They're wines with a sense of place. But they're also well-made. And I think they're well-made for the modern palate. So it's not like they're crazy, weird, funky wines. Like these are wines that are... You could put them, you could blind taste them next to any, you know, more conventional uh, from a more popular region. Um, and you're going to be blown away with the level of quality of these grapes. So that's what I love about Greece. And, you know, Greece also just has so much to offer. I mean, it's so much diversity in one small country with hundreds of varieties. There's th- hundreds of appellations. So it's it's a place that there's never, you can never have it all. Um so it could be a little bit intimidating. So that's why we kind of simplified it. So try out these four or five producers first as a great way to kind of acclimate yourself to the area um, and try these regions. Then you could start to go to see other places and com- compare and contrast. And just like any other region of the wine world, you could see what you like better than others. You know, uh, what, what are wines you like? What are wines you dislike? And, and find what it is that, that makes you, you know, excited and tickles your taste buds. I definitely want to let all of our listening audience and our guests that are with us, you know, this is a time to ask any question you want to, to us, to Johnny, um, you know, as uh, we're coming to the, you know, the, the finale of our webinar, I uh, just want to mention there, you know, one of our guests who's a super fan and loves to follow us and is a good friend of us, Karen, who's participating in this webinar. Um, you know, she's definitely an advocate of wines that are produced from organic farming, from sustainability practices. Um, she also loves Nemea. And that's great to hear that. I, I'm sure she's been to Greece, uh, but she, to me, she's a Phil Hellene who is enjoying Greek culture, but more uh, about Greek wine. Um, so we definitely want to open up the next couple of minutes to our guests to ask yeah. any questions. Her exposure to Greece is you, Fati, and she still loves Greeks, which <laughs> says a lot about Karen. So Karen, thank you. It's the wine talking, maybe. That's what we're trying to say, Ari. <laughs> I'm so, so interested in tasting that orange wine that um, Johnny brought up. Uh, God, I forget the oh, name. Video, I know. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Video, I know. Oh, my God. I, I saw, right when I saw that and you described it. And Johnny, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's also cool to notice that uh, there's a lot of great restaurant groups around the country that are incorporating a selection of wine from Greece in their programs, which... 
I think definitely helps, um, you know, the actual you know awareness of good quality that's coming from Greece. Exactly. I mean, you know, when people always, sometimes people ask me why Greek wines have taken a long time to get off the ground. And I like to compare it to like wines from Italy, where um, Italian immigrants came and they opened up fancy Italian restaurants with Italian wines. And when the Greek immigrants came to America, they opened up American diners and they didn't serve Greek wine. And the wines they did serve were more of like the cheaper stuff. But now this next generation of Greek restaurateurs are opening these fine dining, fancier places, high quality seafood, Greek Mecca houses of the most beautiful, amazing wines, uh, food, and they need high quality wines to match. So it's kind of all happening together. And now you're seeing these beautiful Greek restaurants becoming advocates for for showcasing amazing Greek wines. And my family owns several restaurants in New York, Molivos, uh, Usia, Oceana. And uh, a lot of times Greek, Greek wines are, are highlighted on those menus. Uh, Molivos being the, the, one of the first restaurants in the United States to have a full Greek wine list and has the largest uh, Greek wine list in the country. Um, so that, that's definitely uh, fun to, uh, to mention and to see how that's, that's helped kind of spirit kind of it's it's helped push the, the wine industry in the right direction well you you kind of answered one of the questions uh which was uh what restaurants you're affiliated with so johnny johnny's part of a restaurant group his family has uh if you want to uh, say one more time which which restaurants they are so my family is lavanos restaurant group it's uh molivos oceana city limits diner and uh, modern barn and then we also we opened up Ustia four years ago, but actually the restaurant changed names, changed concepts. It's now called Hudson West. Uh, and that's all, all those are in Manhattan and Westchester. Awesome. And then awesome. somebody somebody asked, Italian varietals are grown in California. Are any Greek varietals being grown in the U.S.? Um, I've seen some experimental stuff. Yeah. The Sirtico, but um, I don't know of much else. Cool. I know they're experimenting with like I, Xenomavo and Asirtico in Australia. And Australia has a very big population of Greek people. So mm-hmm. I think that's a reason for that. But there's not much else that I'm aware of, of Greek varieties being grown. Is, is the is experimental small yeah. stuff. I was going to say, is the reason because they can't match that like unique terroir, the climate, yeah. all that? Uh, I mean, I just think there's no reason for them to do it. Like, you know, people are learning about Greek wines and the Greek varieties are go hand in hand with Greece, where I, I think if a winery try to replant Greek wine, Greek vines in California, I don't know if it would like pay off for them. Like, it would just be a fun, weird thing for them to do. It wouldn't be about like showcasing Greece, you know, it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be cool. It would be cool for us wine geeks. In any yeah, like, I don't know who, who would. Who, would go for it right like no, it's, right. it's hard enough to try and sell you know greek wines from greece imagine trying to sell xenomavro grown in central california people are gonna be like what well yeah you're <laughs> right John, I, I i have like come across uh uh information that they are experimenting with those varieties in california a certico uh as well yeah but you know if if uh for for yeah. for some weird reason uh, a certico or some greek wine became like a huge seller you'd see everybody trying to jump in on it sure of course and you know that's the way it goes but i don't think they will be able to recreate that unique but i I did see something about a sutico being grown in like argentina i mean i i could say we could say this though johnny that even though there's not really uh a solid production of of greek grapes being grown in california there are some great greek americans making wine in california Yes, for sure. That's right? that's not true, of course. There's definitely Greek Americans that are out there in California. I think the Lalonis family has been very um, um, impactful in California over the years uh, in the industry. Uh, there's also, I think, uh, the Lavendis Estate wineries in, in Napa. But there, there's definitely Greek Greek Americans that are involved in the uh, California wine culture. For sure. Ari, any other questions that are coming across our uh no, I think that's it. And, uh, you know, we're we're going to 8.15. So uh, I'm going to say, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. And I want to say a great, great, great thank you to Johnny, as always. I mean, 
I every every webinar we do with Johnny, I'm part of, and yet I look forward to every single webinar that Johnny is going to be part of because he always has this amazing information. He presents it so well, and much appreciation, Johnny, for what you do, you do and what you bring to the table. And we thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for always having me back on here, and we will uh, always have you until you get sick of us, and then inviting uh, me back. <laughs> And as you mentioned, Ari, uh, to those that are listening to join us on the uh, part two of our series. Yes, we have, we have a part two, which is uh, August 26th, the Greek wine renaissance. And um, Johnny's going to be back and he's going um, to talk about uh, the Greek winemakers that are responsible for like the incredible renaissance of Greek winemaking. And that is honestly going to be super cool because these Greek winemakers, man, I, I don't know like how to describe it, but like I want to say like like they're just so cool. They, these yeah. guys are cool. Like they know what they're doing. They they're in they're in an atmosphere and an environment that like they, they just yeah. like transcend and they do something so cool. You guys have to stay um, tuned for that. August twenty sixth, seven p.m. Johnny's gonna be back with us. Fatty, are you gonna be back with us? You can't get rid of me, buddy. I'm All right. You can't get rid of Fati. But I, I want to say, again, a big thank you to Johnny for bringing that knowledge, bringing all his insight to this webinar. Thank you, Fati, for being with thank us. You. This is super cool. Um, thanks, everybody out there, for listening, watching. We're going to have this uh, on our podcast, on our video channel, on the apps. August 26th, come back and join us. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Johnny. Thank, thank you, you Johnny. Johnny. And we will see everybody next time, August 26th. Thank you so much. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Yamas. Yamas.